The way of the wicked, God describes as deep darkness. It's people who are spiritually blinded or blinded to spiritual realities and to God and disoriented, as deep darkness can do to us. So much so that they don't even know over what they stumble. They just keep stumbling and falling and getting back up and stumbling and falling in that darkness, but it's all they know. But God says the contrast to that is that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. The more of God's wisdom that the righteous gain, the clearer and clearer they see life, they see the path, they see the dangers and pitfalls, they see the right ways, and that that just shines brighter and brighter until the full of day. And then a quote that doesn't tie in completely to that thought, but saw this this week and thought, this is a thought that I want to share with you about Proverbs from Tim Keller. The more we know God, ourselves, the human heart, the order of creation, the times and seasons, the more we will have the wisdom to make good decisions. Modern people, that's those walking in darkness, want a technique for guidance, five steps to good decisions. God, however, offers wise character, hard won over a lifetime. So think here of the psalm that's, that's well known to us, that the Proverbs are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that we may walk evermore in the light of Christ and the light of the gospel. So, so far, just as a reminder, and part of the reason why I keep reminding you is we're not working exegetically through a book, so... You can easily lose our way, forget, and these are all reminders. Is God continuing to do his work in these ways to grow us wiser? To think about our words more, to, be, to realize the power they have to both be life-depleting, we spent a Sunday on that, and life-giving, we spent a Sunday on that. And then what God has to say about wise friendships, both the qualities of friends that are important to God, and how we uh, do those relationships, and particularly Christ as our friend. And then the critical need of humility and the tremendously damaging effect or impact that pride has in our lives, and just the reminders that God says that pride brings fall and danger and death, and humility brings grace and wisdom and blessing. And then last week, God's wisdom for marriage um, and excellent husbands and wives, that the greatest trait of those individuals is not charm, is not beauty. It's the fear of the Lord. And that marriage lived in the fear of the Lord and God's wise ways will bless the husband and the wife and the children and the extended family and the friends and the community as we saw in Proverbs 31. But all of that is meant to prepare us for the day when Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, comes and takes us to our eternal wedding feast with him. Just a reminder of Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, that when we build our homes and establish them with God's wisdom, his understanding, and his knowledge, God will fill the rooms or the days of our lives, the days of our marriage, the days of our family 
with all kinds of precious and pleasant riches. Today, God's wisdom and his care that we wisely receive, rebuke, reproof, and correction, and that we wisely give it as appropriate as well. And it might surprise some of us as we look at these how often God talks about this particular aspect of sanctification. So there's a boatload of verses, like one of the biggest themes of Proverbs, really on every page in every chapter, is that teaching and instruction are the way that we grow wise. The better we listen, the better we heed that in just a general way. Any kind of instruction from parents, from other wise people, from God and his word, but that's the way that we learn to walk wisely. So I put a couple of examples just from the middle of the book, but it's all the way from chapter one, all the way through to the end is that emphasis. But within that, there's an amazing number, surprising number of verses that deal zeroing in on one specific area of being teachable or able to be instructed, and that's the area of reproofs or rebukes or corrections. When sin or folly is noticed, pointed out, exposed, brought to light, addressed, and calls for repentance and change. Doesn't matter whether it's about our marriage, about our parenting, about our use of money, about our relationships. There's all kinds of ways and all kinds of areas. So the challenging part of this area of instruction is it usually hurts. It usually stings. So we don't like it. We often avoid it, both receiving it and some of us especially giving it. We don't appreciate the value of them. We don't see why God puts such a value on them. Hopefully by the end of today, you will recognize that more. And so sadly, we avoid giving them and we avoid or don't receive them very well. But a couple of Proverbs that perhaps just bring the importance of the, them out to us. The ear that listens to, and now notice the adjective, a life-giving reproof will dwell among or be in community with, be known as the wise. And then a really powerful one, and we'll finish at the Lord's table reminding ourselves of this one. Blows or rebukes or corrections that wound cleanse away evil and strokes make clean the innermost parts. Now, on top of our own personal hurt or the hurting of other people, our culture also is drifting in very different directions. In some ways, we become such a critical, such a harsh such a rebuking society, especially maybe on social media where we're not face-to-face -face with somebody. We're just throwing our rebukes out there for everybody to be blessed by them. But in other ways, correcting is becoming less acceptable and less effective because of thoughts like, you have no right to judge me and mind your own business and keep your nose out of everybody else's. So in that sense, fewer and fewer are willing to confront sin or folly, even in their closest friends' lives, sometimes even in their own families. So Proverbs 25, 12. 
like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. When those two things combine, it is beautiful to God. Hard words, or what we often call hard truth, can be God's way of making us wiser and holier and more righteous people. So ponder as you listen to God's word today. Are you the kind of person who receives corrections readily or bristling? Do you listen when a rebuke is delivered at you, humbly examining it for all the truthfulness that is in it? Or is your first instinct always, immediately, to defend, justify, lash back, push back? And are you willing, when the Spirit of God prompts you, to reprove and correct and rebuke others? Father, again, we pray today, as we have been each of these Sundays, the same prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden just before he went to the cross. Would you sanctify us in truth? Not in our opinions, not in our own feelings and things that seem right to us, not in what this world's think tanks are telling us, but with your word, for that alone is truth. Please sanctify us, teach us, shape us. May these Proverbs be living and active inside of us long after this morning, shaping, molding, correcting, rebuking, encouraging, strengthening, that they would transform us evermore into the likeness of your dear Son as we turn our eyes upon Jesus. So please use your word for your purposes, in your people, for your glory, I pray. Amen. So, first of all, receiving God's reproof and correction. So, very early in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, we are told, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is such a significant proverb that the, God had the writer of Hebrews repeat it in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 5, where it's written, Have you forgotten the exhortation? It's the exhortation in Proverbs chapter 3 that addresses you as sons. And then it repeats with slightly different words, but the same concept of reproof from God that comes to us because he loves us so deeply. And Hebrews goes on. I couldn't fit it all on one slide, but I wanted you to see all of these thoughts on one slide. Uh, but he goes on to talk about discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then there's some more discussion in Hebrews there about Father's disciplining us, and so we should even more so welcome our Father, Heavenly Father's discipline. Earthly Father's discipline for a short time as it seems best to them. But God disciplines or reproves or corrects us for our good, and here's why. That we may share, enjoy, uh, find the blessings and the happiness in His holiness. So for the moment, 
All discipline and reproofs and rebukes are painful rather than pleasant. But later, over time, as God keeps working that in our hearts, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And then this thought shows up one more time near the very end of the Bible in the seven letters to the churches and Christ is now speaking this to a local congregation and says, those whom I love, I reprove. So notice the elevation of reproval. It doesn't say those I love, I spoil, uh, but I reprove and I discipline so that they so. Therefore, be zealous and repent. If you look, if you're in Proverbs and you look at chapter one, and I don't have a slide for this, but I just want you to glance your eyes at it if you would. Reproof reproof shows up three times in the second half of chapter one. So wisdom, in verse 20, wisdom is crying aloud in the streets, raising her voice. And then in verse 23, here's what wisdom says. If you turn at wisdom's reproof, correction, rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you, God says. I will make my words known to you because I called and you, but because I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity, mock when terror strikes. And it goes on through many, many unpleasant things. Verse 30. Again, because you would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, I'm going to have you eat the consequences of that rejection. And he finishes the chapter with, the simple are killed by their turning away. And we could say by their turning away from the reproofs. And the complacency of fools destroys them. For whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So, Powerful way in which God himself reproves us. And then one more thought in this area, that the way God most commonly does this is through his word. Might even be this morning through the book of Proverbs. But God just reminds us as he describes his word, I breathe them all out. This is not just Solomon's perspective on rebukes. These are God's words in Proverbs breathed out and they're profitable to teach. There's that same idea of what Proverbs does. But then for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the point of it again is that we'll share in his holiness. We'll be complete, equipped for every good work. So biggest point is when God reproves us, often through his spirit, in our hearts, through his word, we had best listen, take it to heart, and to repent. Humans can make errors in reproofs. We'll talk about those. But when God reproves, he is always perfect in it, and we had best heed it. Now, the hard part for some of us is, all right, I'll take it from God, but I struggle when it comes from humans. So God amazingly uses human beings to reprove and correct. And here's some of the ways that I think Proverbs most strongly uh, presents this. First of all, in 623, The commandments of God are a lamp, that's what we opened with, the teaching of a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life for God's people. Like it's just a part of our lives. Like reproofs are not a negative bad thing, they're a part of the way that we know God will sanctify us. 
Proverbs 9.8, powerful. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. He will love you because he so values having sin and folly pointed out in his life yet that he can repent of. Proverbs 15.31, the ear that listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 25.12, that we've noted earlier, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And then a very graphic one, a rebuke, which might be two or three or five words long, will go deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows or lashes into a fool. Because the man of understanding welcomes it, values it, and rather than resist it, fight it, contradict it, accept it, and allow it to leave its mark. Other Proverbs that reinforce this, and they're just going to come at you quickly here. Proverbs 13, 18, particularly the second half of it, whoever heeds reproof is honored. 15, 5, whoever heeds reproof is prudent. 17 verses later, whoever listens to reproof gains intelligence. Four chapters later, reproof of a man of understanding, he'll gain knowledge. You can see again, much like humility, same idea that God just keeps weaving in the blessing, the good, the gain that comes from those who heed, listen to, accept, and deal with reproofs. And then we talked about this on friendship uh, when we studied that a few Sundays ago, but here it is again as a reminder that it's better in our relationships and in our church body to have open rebuke than hidden love. That friends who are really faithful to us are willing to wound us and that the kisses of enemies, which might feel and sound really good at the time, may actually not do nearly as much good. To only kiss, 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 kiss with our friends is actually a form of betrayal to them. It's actually acting anti-friend because we're not doing some of the most important things that God's designed for our friendships and relationships and our church body to do. Kisses are good, but they're not the only thing that we need. Wounds serve tremendous purposes, and God uses them in tremendous ways. Danny and Jonathan Aiken, father and son, in their commentary on Proverbs, said this, true friends tell you what you need to hear. False friends tell you what you want to hear. So it's good here just to consider your own way that you receive and give out rebukes and whether they are uh, honored in the place in your life as we see here. And then, once again, Proverbs 20, 30, we need those blows, those, those rebukes, those corrections, because they help to cleanse us of evil and go all the way down to the deepest part. And we need people who sharpen us and we sharpen them. And those, those sharpenings often come through corrections and reproofs. And then four Proverbs that just warn us of the danger and damage of not listening. Proverbs 12.1 
Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproofs is stupid. Now, God doesn't use the word stupid very much, not nearly as much as we do. So when he uses it, it ought to get our attention. It's a way of saying is a fool, but it's a way of saying a particularly foolish fool, particularly stupid one, is to hate those reproofs. 1017, whoever heeds is on the path to life. He who rejects reproof will eventually lead others astray. 15.10, there's severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. And then a very graphic one at the beginning of chapter 29. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And God gives us an example in Proverbs 5, which is a section on a young man who's sexually immoral and then later in life reflects back and says, I realize now, I despised reproof. I despised anybody telling me, sticking their nose in my business about what my sexual activity ought to be. I hated I wouldn't listen. I thought they were all stupid and outdated. And now at the end of my life or later in my life, I am at the brink of utter ruin. So lots of counsel we could have here. Um, and we'll note some Proverbs in a little bit on that. But just a few thoughts uh, before we then turn to how do we give rebukes. First of all, not every rebuke should be wholeheartedly swallowed. There are tons of rebukes and reproofs, even among God's people, that are bad counsel or incorrect or don't understand the situation fully. So it's amazing what comes out of some Christians' mouths. And I, I, Yeah, all kinds of areas that I can think of and examples that I can think of where it's just been incredulous what some Christians have told other Christians or corrected them about. So always, no matter where it comes from, we need to be discerning, we need to be humble and honest before the Lord and take to heart what is true and what is accurate and what God wants and be willing to let the rest roll off. Also, God doesn't distinguish who the rebukes come from in these Proverbs we've looked at, nor even how they are given to us, even though both of those are important to God, and we'll see that in a little bit. So when a rebuke comes from a mature Christian disciple, follower of Christ, we certainly need to take that to heart. It's likely coming from God through that individual to lovingly and caringly address something in our lives. But when a rebuke comes from an enemy, someone who just doesn't like us, perhaps even hates us, or perhaps from a source that we don't really want it to come from, like our kids, Sometimes, in fact, maybe often, they are some of the most honest reproofs that we get. They're our harshest critics, but they shoot straight, even if it's with an intent to wound us. So, though they can be really hard to receive, sometimes that's who God uses to most help us. And even if a, a rebuke is delivered in a sinful way, the motive for it or the way in which they do it. Don't just quickly throw the whole thing out. 
getting so emotional and bent out of shape by their sinful rebuke. Still consider what is true within it, no matter how it came to you. Don't get up in arms. Don't grumble and gossip about the person or the rebuke. Don't take revenge and try to get back. Don't carry a grudge. Value holiness, righteousness, sanctification, and be approachable and open to however God may want to rebuke you. Now we turn the tables and think about the other side. Proverbs speaks much more about receiving rebukes than about giving them. But it does give some principles. Certainly some of the ones we've already heard would apply for when we give them as well. Um, It's certainly for most of us. And there are a group of people who love to rebuke. But for most of us, it's not something we relish, enjoy, look forward to. But God is going to emphasize it is an important part of loving other people well. So God wants us to be reprovers with each other, but to be wise in that. For, again, a wisely given reproof is a beautiful gift, as Proverbs 25, 12 says, when it is wisely received. And just reminders, and then Proverbs 28, 23 Whoever rebukes a man will afterward, and it might be days, weeks, or years, find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And that is why it is worth the initial difficulty and challenge of it. Now, Proverbs also warns us, particularly when you're correcting a scoffer, so that's the deepest, most entrenched kind of fool, a wicked man, that you will get abused You will incur injury. You will be hated. But you want to deliver those, even in the midst of those, in as godly of a way as you can. Just because you're sure it's going to go badly does not excuse you from giving a rebuke that God may be prompting you to give. So how a rebuke is given is very important to its effectiveness. God can work in, in light of the worst kind of delivery or the best But here are some Proverbs that speak somewhat, even though they don't use the word rebuke, to how we deliver them. Again, Proverbs 25, 11, and 12. We looked at this with words. A word or a reproof of a rebuke, a correction, fitly spoken. And fitly means the right person in the right way to the right person for the right reasons. Uh, So not quantity of words, but just the quality of that correction has a great worth to God. God sees it as an exquisite work of art that is done by the Spirit as he puts apples of gold in a setting of silver in that individual's lives. Similarly, making an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season that's wise and good and fit how good it is. More Proverbs and principles. Pondering how to answer in 1528. 1623 and 24 is very good. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. So not with favoritism. It's not, this isn't coming out of my pride and my own, but this is coming out of what is fair. In other words, we ought to as willingly receive them as we give them. They both ought to be done in the same spirit. And that judiciousness adds persuasiveness, effectiveness to his lips. 
gracious words can turn out to be sweet to the soul and health to the body. A fool will show vexation, frustration, quick temper, anger very quickly. And 15.4, a gentle tongue, once again, is a tree of life. But perverseness or sin within our tongue will break the spirit. Now, there's more that we're not going to look at. And I would also just say there's many in the New Testament. And I'll just bring you your thoughts to two very quickly. Matthew 7, which starts with do not judge, but immediately, and that's because we need to judge by the standard we want to be judged by, not by uh, us being higher and others being lower. But then it also talks about the log and the speck. That always when I am giving reproof, I am looking at my own life, dealing with that issue in me, not, not thinking that I am without sin in any way in that area or in others before I deal with the speck in my brother's eye. But the point of the passage is you still deal with the speck. Correction and rebukes ought to be two-way. And then James 1, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we give rebukes in anger, it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, moving as we try to do each Sunday to how does the New Testament perhaps reflect some of what Proverbs says? And I would just say that the New Testament carries on and even expands it, beginning with words from Christ himself. Two particular statements in Matthew 18, 15. This is what we call the first step of discipline, but it's what ought to be happening actively within all of our lives and in our church family all of the time. That when one of us sins against another, we are to go, call out that sin, tell him his fault. That's the reproof, rebuke, correction. Just the two of you in private. And if he listens to you, praise God. You've gained your brother. You've restored a relationship. You don't have something sitting between you. And then Proverbs 7, or Luke 17, 3 to 5, where Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. That's what it starts with. Like, don't be careless going through life. Watch everything. And if and when your brother sins, rebuke him. Correct him. And if he repents, forgive him. And then he says, if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So repentance may be quick in the Matthew 18 case, or it may be long and slow and repeated over and over before it fully sinks in. And then a few other, very quickly, uh, New Testament, particularly in Paul's pastoral epistles, just want to, you to notice how often rebu rebuke and reproof is mentioned in Paul's writings to Timothy and to Titus. First um, Timothy 5.1 is the warning. Don't rebuke an older man. Like, don't just readily go and chew out an older, wiser saint of God. Encourage him as you would a father. Approach him as you would your father. Do things with that kind of love. Second Timothy 4.12, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. And you can see more that are listed there. For sake of time, I'm just going to move on. But we can see that rebuking is a necessary and life-giving part of church bodies. Like all of these are, are addressing elders and pastors and people in leadership and how important uh, life-giving rebukes and reproofs can be within a church body. 
And then one New Testament principle that I share with you often, I'm going to bring it up again because I just see it as so important to a church family. From Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that starts growing, leading you to fall away from the living God. So the, the, the correction to that is exhort, which includes rebukes and corrections, one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let's be a body of believers, First Street Bible Church, who, because we love each other and we love the Lord and we love the gospel so much, have a culture of humble correctability. May we surround ourselves with people who will be honest and open with us about areas we need to grow in and we with them. Not just people like us, Again, sometimes the best reproofs come from people who are very, very, very different from us. And then two Proverbs that remind us here in the midst of these New Testament passages. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance or corrective rebukes are not happening, a people, a church body, a family falls. But in an abundance of counselors, including rebukers, there is safety. And then later in Proverbs 24, by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. The more you and I isolate from each other, and a bunch of us are introverts, the more you pull out and just have a tiny little circle of people, and it's only people who are affirming you in every way, even when you're sinning, the more danger you are in. And so let's not just surround ourselves with friends who are echo chambers of our own thoughts and opinions. And finally, from the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Uh, this is right in front of where Chad's going to begin to open up Ephesians next Sunday with us. But just a summary description about how a church body is to function. And again, you don't see the word re rebuke, correction, or reproof in here but I think that's ca captured in speaking the truth in love. And notice in love is the way the verse starts and it's the way the whole long sentence ends as well. In other words, all of it is done with tremendous love. And then in here I would insert a proverb, Proverbs 24, 25, that whoever of us is giving an honest answer, even when it may be brutally painful to the person hearing the honest answer, even when we're speaking truth that people don't want to hear, we are actually kissing the lips, showing them the deepest affection for them that we can. So, true friends, as the Aikens told us, tell you what you need to hear. Don't be a false friend who only tells people what they want to hear. And in that process, the Aikens go on to remind us, be clear and be gentle. And they say this, not on a slide. Often, those who are good at directness are bad at gentleness. And those who are good at gentleness can struggle with directness. We need both in our correcting and rebuking. So hard as rebukes can be to say, hard as rebukes can be to hear, both are used greatly by God to grow us. In fact, 
From just my own life, I know that some of my greatest moments of spiritual growth have come through some of the hardest things that I've had to hear from people. Giving and receiving rebukes are part of how God tells us we all grow up in every way we become more whole and fully like Christ as we grow up into him and all of us are doing that together and so our whole body is being built up. 